0: Welcome to CV Now, your podcast from the Houston Methodist-Debakey CV Education. I'm your host, George Tripsis. In today's show, we're bringing you a panel of vascular and endovascular surgeons from across Latin America to highlight their unique perspectives on career and personal success.
1: Uh, we' we're, we're seeing uh, a rise in the in the women that are aspiring to do vascular surgery with time. Previous of my generation, there were very few, sixty to eighty women in the, in the specialty. and uh, that would be maybe in the whole country who are practicing like regularly, mostly younger uh, younger generations because it was harder for for a woman to get in the in the surgical service.
0: This podcast is part of the DeBakey CV Live ISEVS series and is hosted by Vascular Surgeons, Dr. Alan Lumpston, President of the International Society of Endovascular Specialists, and Dr. Palma Shaw, ISEVS Secretary. They are joined by a panel of doctors to discuss wide-ranging issues from differencing in training and professional societies in Latin America to mentorship and support in male-dominated fields to parenting, pregnancy, and work-life balance.
2: Uh, my name is Dr. Alan Lumsden I'm the Medical Director of the Houston Methodist DeBakey Heart and Vascular Center. But more importantly for tonight, I am the President of the International Society of Endovascular Specialists. I'm also the envy of all the people in our group because I get to be the token guy in a symposium that focuses on training and the role of Latino vascular surgeons. So I want to introduce uh, Dr. Palma Shaw. She's really going to be the one who hosts this. And she's also the secretary of the International Society of Endovascular Specialists. So thank you for coming up with this idea, very important concept for the society and the uh, women vascular surgeons in Central and South America. Palma, I'm going to hand it over to you to introduce our guests.
3: Thank you so much, Alan. You know, you really give me too much credit, and I really give it back to you, because I wouldn't be here without your support. Mm you've been incredibly supportive and i just want everyone to recognize that i think this is an incredible topic i am so excited to have these beautiful women here today i met um, dr vanessa rubio last year in mexico at a meeting Uh, i was uh, i was representing the iscvs at that meeting she's a vascular and thoracic surgeon at the clinica vascular de guadalajara in guadalajara mexico we also have uh, dr fernanda costa silva who I know through the Society for Vascular Surgery IRC committee, and uh, she had previously worked for ten years at the Hospital Aristes Maltes, and now she holds an academic, academic appointment of faculty at the Federal University of Bahia, Brazil, and she is in charge of the postgraduate program in medicine and health, and is again very active in the international relations committee for SBS. And Dr. Gabriela Velasquez, an associate professor and program director for Vascular Surgery Fellowship at the Wake Forest University School of Medicine. So these are our three guests today, um, and I'm really thrilled again to have them here. So Ellen and I thought that it would be really interesting to discuss some of the differences in vascular training and practices experienced by female surgeons from different parts of Latin countries. Um, and uh, Gabri- uh is here because she's actually originally from Guadalajara, and uh, she's going to talk a little bit about um, her background. I'd like to lead off with Vanessa um, and ask her to discuss some aspects of the training for vascular surgeons in Mexico and what different things do you feel might be different uh, from what we do.
1: Uh, yeah, it's uh, I think it's variable where you where you train in vascular surgery depending of the uh, of the city even in the hospital where you train there's a different program depending on each um, academic. Um, requirements for each hospital. For example, for in order to do my training, I did two years of general surgery, and then I did four years of thoracic and vascular. And it varies. If you go to hospitals in other areas of the country, you're required to do four years of general surgery, and then maybe three years of, of vascular, or one year of general and three years of vascular. So it really depends where you train. Um, I think the advantage of my hospital was that it mixed a little of uh, well the part of thoracic surgery, so it, it gave me a compliment on on that with my practice. So I think that's a, a good thing that that I got to have. Um, I think um, I, I'm not sure if in the U.S. you have this. Uh, there's not like a standard uh, time for for the the years required, or do you have this variable um, training wherever you go? Or I'm not sure if this this is this has the same uh, variability. But in here, this is, this depends where you trained and mostly the area of, of training you will get. Also another thing that I think it's different in my country is that um, the endovascular training, it's not really part of the program. And I think it depends on the resources of most of, uh, of the public institutions. So if you want to get some kind of uh, endovascular training, mostly you have to do some training outside the country. Uh, so we, we go to Europe or the US or some other countries where we can have these practice. There are some very few hospitals in the country where you get some of these endovascular practice, which are made only, made mostly in the in the capital. Um, But really, very limited hospitals have these practice. So in my case, I I went to training in, in the Arizona
3: Heart Institute. And you have a focus uh, you mentioned in, previously in Venus, complex venous work. Is that?
1: Yeah, I I really took an interest on on venous cases, and I I like doing. A lot. I, I took a preference for for venous cases. So I I also do arterial cases, but I really do, I really like uh, doing thrombotic cases and. Uh, uh, may Turners and uh, Nutcracker, and so I really took an interest on on all of the all of the Venus aspects. Uh, so we are starting a very strong program on on Venus cases in the in the clinic, and we're trying to promote more of these in in the whole country.
3: So, Fernanda, do you see uh, is this similar in Brazil, or do you see differences? And you might even um, I know you're starting a new program as well. You may discuss that
4: well uh the pathways are quite uniform in brazil they don't depend on the the local the, uh, the hospital you're seen but uh there are some differences because uh we have to take uh, There is no zero more five program with direct access to vascular surgery. We have to take two years of general surgery and more two years of vascular surgery. And the similarity with Mexico is that the endovascular surgery path is also optional. It's not part of the vascular surgery training, but we have many training centers for endovascular surgery here. We have to take a one optional year Uh, separately from the vascular surgery program. And uh, there are two main routes for training officially, which consists of uh, two years of vascular surgery uh, residency recognized by the Ministry of Education, or you can take two years of vascular surgery fellowship recognized by the Brazilian Society of uh, Vascular Surgery. There is also an unofficial pathway, but it's becoming unusual, uh, which consists of uh, eight years of shadowing a certified vascular surgeon. But this applied when uh, we had uh, a few fellowship opportunities, but in the last decade it increased a lot, so it's uncommon, this unofficial pathway.
3: Didn't you mention to me that you were starting a whole new program that you were launching? In Brazil? Yeah, that you were working on a project.
4: Oh, yes, I have. This is my personal program. This is not a residency program. This is a a leadership development program called the Wovas Forum. It's a forum for women in vascular surgery. And uh, our objective is to connect women vascular surgery worldwide.
3: So you're and, starting uh, today.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you very much for this opportunity. Yes. Um, um, actually, I started um, in 2018 when <laughs> I, I did a, a study among women vascular surgery, surgeons in Brazil we surveyed about 281 participants associated to the Brazilian Vascular Society. And we tried to delineate a profile of a women vascular surgeon regarding demographics and job market integration, and the main field of practice, leadership management roles, and scientific engagement authorship of papers. So we we collected um, a lot of important data, and uh, the majority of women vascular surgeons in Brazil they prefer to practice venous surgery. At uh, this allows us to to have a a, a social life and to uh, merge practice with uh family
3: issues. That's wonderful. Um, Gabriela, can you please um, give a little bit of your background? I know you're born in Guadalajara and then you did some your education and then you did the training here and then maybe you could describe the training that you've done here so that the international viewers uh, have a perception of the differences between the different training paradigms.
5: Sure. And again, thank you for having us today. So So fun to connect this way. Um, So, yeah, so I was actually born in Mexico City. And then uh, my parents and I moved to Guadalajara, where I did medical school. And, um, and when I was there, actually, in my last year, which we do like a social service, I did research. And it was my first kind of big surgical mentor, Dr. Gonzalez, he really encouraged me to come train in the US. I mean, at that time, I kind of Already uh, was curious about uh, how training was in the U.S. You hear people talking about it, you know. You read your papers. Uh, I will like buy my books in English to kind of practice my medical English and all that. And uh, he was really encouraging to do so, not knowing that uh, obviously there will come many challenges ahead. But also it was a very exciting journey. So I will say that my story is very similar to to many immigrants that come and pursue medical training here in the U.S., Um, we do have to take the same USMLEs and then we're considered to be ECFMGs, which is sort of like foreign medical graduates. So that's sort of like one thing that kind of covers us all if we did medical school outside the U.S. And then... I um I took my steps and then actually my first year here I did like a couple of rotations before coming to train here at emory university and and I worked super super hard so that they would they would know that that I was good and that I you know and I had a shot to like train here. And actually, I had, you know, when I applied, it is um, interesting as to how uh, the first obstacles come that way when you start your interviews for general surgery at that time, because, you know, you may not have as many interviews as you thought you will have, even if you did really well on your on your USMLEs. I think that this ECFMG part of it may make some programs pause as to how open they're gonna be to have someone from another country just because they're not so familiar as to what medical school was like because it's not so, you know, uh, I don't know, like it's not the same like it, it is here. So I think that you know at that time I didn't get as many interviews as I thought, but because I had worked at Emory and and did a, some rotations, I think they gave me the opportunity to start there and. And all I knew is that I needed like one shot, just one shot to someone to open the door. And I knew I had to work really, really hard because that's what, you know, we had to do. Think that um, I would say at the beginning, being from a different country made me feel like I was maybe not good enough. And it may have been the language barrier. It may have been the fact that I didn't do medical school in the US and many other kind of stigmas, I guess, that we hear about when we are doing medical school or when on when you hear others talking about international students training here. But I also knew that many others had made it and that if I had and I was there at that time, it's because I was supposed to be there. So I took a, a big leap and worked really hard and, and just keep pushing forward. And I had I came across incredible mentors. That just pushed me the way, and and after my preliminary year at Emory, they took me as a categorical as a resident, and then you know that was kind of like the beginning of of my surgical career, which I have been very grateful to have. I would say that the differences between in you know what uh, Fernanda is describing in Brazil's training and is uh, describing in Mexico is that we have two basic paradigms of training here for general surgery, for vascular surgery, for those that are, that are listening from other countries. So we have the traditional program, which will be a five-year general surgery, uh, general surgery training uh, where you become a board certified general surgeon, and then you do two years of vascular and endovascular fellowship. And then the integrated program that is now what considered a zero five or zero seven, which basically just means that if you're going to do the extra two years of research, depending on the program. So, but you applied right after med school. So those are the two kind of ways it's structured overall. And there are you know a couple of other things that are there that are. Um, also certified, by the uh, ACGME in terms of training. But I am the program director for a fellowship here. We are not, we don't, we do not have a um, integrated program yet. But I think that's you know part of the future of vascular surgery too. And I think that's going to allow us to capture even more trainees to be interested in vascular surgery, given that in med school not everyone will be exposed to vascular surgery. Um, so those are sort of like one some of the, the differences in terms of the of the, of the training. Palma, we
2: have multiple questions that have been sent out. Can can we handle the questions? So let's go from the top. So, um, how many women are there in vascular surgery? Palma said this is a male-dominated profession in the United States. It's hard to disagree with that. I would imagine it's even worse, you know, in the South American countries. But uh, illuminate. uh, Let's go in Mexico. What is that, Gabriela? What is the relative percentage? Are you an anomaly, or are you the the, the norm?
5: So I would say Vanessa will have a better answer because I mean I I practice in the U.S. But Vanessa would would uh, tell you, but I think they're an anomaly for sure yeah. in a good way.
3: Yeah,
5: in a good yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, I
1: think uh, we're we're seeing uh, a rise in the in the uh, in the women that are aspiring to do vascular surgery with time, and I know uh, that we have um, previous of my generation there were very few. And now they're beginning to be more and more people applicating for, for vascular uh, surgery. So I think there's a tendency to have more women each time. Right now, I would say maybe, I think we could be maybe like around, um, I would say maybe like around 60 to 80 women in the, in the specialty. And uh, that would be maybe in the whole country we're who practicing like regularly, mostly younger uh, younger yeah. generations, because it was harder for, for a woman to get in a, in a surgical service before. So, do you have any so idea what
2: that represents in terms of percentage, that 5%, 10%, approximately?
1: Yeah, maybe it's around, I would say maybe that will be around a 20%
2: okay, that's uh, a, of the of the vascular surgeons. That's a country. pretty significant number. Really? And what about in Brazil? <clears throat>
4: In Brazil, we are 24% in 2020. The medical Brazilian medical demography was recently published, so I wow. have this precise data. <laughs> uh, uh, among the a total of 4,500 vascular surgeons, we are
2: 24%. All right. Now, here's the most important questions. Do women get paid the same?
4: Yes. Uh, no. There's no difference in, in Brazil, uh, uh, regarding to payment.
2: Okay, and if you want to have a child, how much time do you get off? And do you get paid while you're off?
4: D- difficult, difficult question. <laughs> That's
2: why You asking. mean uh,
4: uh, regarding the, the maternity leave?
2: Yes, maternity leave.
4: Yeah. Yes, uh, during the residency program, uh, female physicians have the right of 120 days of maternity leave, this is a uh, federal regulated and uh, they even can get more 60 days of leave depending on the case uh, but during the pregnancy they have to be removed from uh, unhealthy activities which can impair the training so uh in practice this means that uh chiefs can even uh, ask for the woman to stop the training for example, in the cases of uh, radiation exposure. So they have to manage this in a case by case, reallocate uh, those women, pregnant women, pregnant residents to other areas.
2: Uh, Vanessa? Uh,
4: You get 90 days for pregnancy leave
1: and uh, you can either have like 30 days before pregnancy and then uh, the rest afterwards. And then usually it's, and during the residency, it depends on the hospital where you train because sometimes they will make you repeat the year of residency uh, if you get pregnant during that year. So that's uh, I think that's an unfair thing. Right. And, um, since I do private practice, well, this depends mostly on the time I I take for for my leave. But in institution, it's harder. It's usually very restricted.
5: At uh-huh. in our, uh,
3: yeah. in our
5: institution, we do twelve weeks. Um, you know, overall, but I think it also depends on the healthcare system as well. It's different for trainings too. Yeah.
2: And Vanessa, this question specific to you is do you still practice cardiothoracic surgery?
1: I practice thoracic surgery, okay. uh, like pulmonary uh, surgery and the thoracic uh, anatomical surgery, and as well as vascular surgery. I don't do cardiac surgery anymore.
2: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously I'm coming to you from Houston where the word cardiovascular was was uh, invented, I think. And so there's a lot of the heart surgeons here do vascular, a diminishing number. But I just was interested in uh, Brazil and Mexico, what percentage of vascular is done by cardiac surgeons?
1: I think uh, because of it's traditional that cardiovascular surgery would, would uh, um, mainly do all of these aspects of uh, it, it would be like the, the original specialty, for example. Mm-hmm. And then it divided. So you can have um, the division of vascular surgery only, and then the thoracic surgery only, and the cardiac surgery. So it depends on the hospital. There's, uh, the one where I trained is very unique in the aspect that it englobes both um, the vascular and the thoracic parts. But mostly, you find it very divided. Wow. But wow. most cardiac surgeons will also do some vascular pretty-
4: surgery. So the, the same applies to Brazil. There are separated uh, specialties and uh, usually we are not part of the same team, the vascular, thorax, tiki, and uh, cardiovascular. They are completely separated team.
3: Well, Fernanda brought up an interesting uh, topic, which is radiation safety and pregnancy, which is actually something I've done a lot of research on. And, uh, I'd be interested to know, uh, Gabriella, in your institution, is there uh, are the fellows or trainees relocated during times that they're doing an endovascular, for, uh, you know, rotation or something, or do they try to maintain the same one and just use a fetal badge?
5: So so uh, it's a, it's very interesting that you point that out. We don't have an actual protocol to say if you are, you know, <laughs> pregnant, you shouldn't be doing radiation cases. I think what we try to do and what we do and we enforce that, and, you know, all of our trainees get radiation safety, uh, you know, teaching and learning at the beginning of their fellowship to, to, to they know and we all get our radiation badges. So as soon as we know someone's pregnant, they use their fetal their fetal batch and they double, double, you know, lead. They use double bed lead. They, uh, we also have like an extra lead protector for, for those that are pregnant. Uh, and we use all of those techniques to the rate, the rate, amount of radiation exposure. That being said, it always it kind of makes me nervous to have them being so exposed, you know, especially for the trainees, but they don't want to miss the cases. That's the other thing. Like they want to continue the training. Like if I was to tell them, Hey, you don't get to scrub these cases. They'll be like, why not? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good with this. And the truth is that we know that if they use their double lead, they use a fetal dosimeter, they're using all the other things to decrease radiation exposure they will be fine. So I think that I personally, as a program director, try to be very judicious about that and talk to them about it. I talk to my my faculty members to be aware of that so that if we're going to be in a case where there's going to be a lot of radiation exposure, call it fenestrated cases, complex endovascular cases, maybe those should not be the ones that they're going to be exposed to, you know, specific trimesters of their pregnancy. But we should probably come up with some sort of like guidelines to protect, you know, protect, protect our trainees.
3: So we should bring that up to the APDVS. Correct. We definitely need to do that. Vanessa, um, do, you, do the trainees or the female endovascular surgeons get removed from cases because of concerns of radiation in Mexico?
1: No, not really. I think it's uh, more of a choice of the of the resident in case she's pregnant or something like that that she won't take part of it. But usually, yeah, it's the same thing about double lead or um, some measures like that that you can take to to prevent uh, extra radiation in case you're pregnant. Um, Mostly, it's, it's a
3: personal choice, I think. So I had two children, and I did uh, uh bar t and all that throughout. I double-leaded, but this was like back in the day. We didn't know a lot of things. And honestly, since then, you know, Wei Zhu, uh, Nita Chandra and I, we published a paper looking at dissymmetry in, in pregnancy. And even with standard lead, not necessarily double lead, there was no increased amount of radiation for any of the trainees or female uh, operators. So... Um, I think guidelines in general um, would, would be very helpful, whether we do this as a uh, U.S.-based uh, effort or maybe an international effort. Um, you know, radiation safety is important for all women, all who uh, all who are doing endovascular procedures. So maybe that's something that we could collaborate on. Yes. So. So I wanted to see um, what things, uh, like Vanessa, when you went through, what what uh, things helped you become successful at what you're doing. I mean what when the things t- times were difficult when you were pregnant, when you didn't feel like you could maybe get the work done who was inspirational to you or what things um, would you say helped you get to where you are?
1: Yeah, I think a big uh, inspirational figure for me is my father. He's a cardiovascular surgeon so he he's a, a great teacher uh, in in my area and we work together. So this is a figure that was my mentor during my training. And I would consult on him just like general surgery cases and then vascular surgery. Although he tried to discourage me from going into this, into this <laughs> but it, was, uh, it was something that I ended up doing. But I think he, he being a, a, a mentor there and just uh, supportive and you know um, answering my, my questions. And it's a, a role model that you try to, to follow. So I think this figure is very important, especially I think for every, every vascular surgeon, but more, I, more so I think sometimes if you're a woman, it's good to have uh, external support uh, from someone that will mentor you, that will help you, that will guide you or tell you that it's not something as hard as you, as you might think. Um, because I think um, there really can be sometimes that uh, things are hard And you're thinking that you cannot do it if you're thinking of forming maybe like a family or having children and trying trying to cope with everything that that represents. And also that you have to be a good vascular surgeon and be responsible and be there for your patients. So I think if you have external support, uh, maybe like from your family, from a nanny, from something, you have to kind of plan things to in order for it to work because you have to go and go to a supermarket and have the food ready in the house and then also like take the children to school. And so you have to kind of manage both lives. And I think if you, if you manage to have this network of maybe some people helping you or, or uh, like that, this will, will also be very valuable um, to kind of have both, both lives.
3: <laughs> we were saying uh, about raising children, we say it takes a village. Yeah, raise a child, you know, really, yeah. and raise a child is like a village. I don't hire one, Annie. I hire like a family. Yeah. <laughs> and, then I, and then I orchestrate what their job roles are to get the kids. Um, Fernanda, can you uh, think of some people or some things that really got you to where you are when things were hard, it gave you inspiration? Well,
4: I have uh, two role models. I mean, uh, one preceptor. And uh, one uh, senior resident who uh, were inspirations for me. Uh, I I had a bad moment during my residency because uh, I heard uh, many discouragement w- w- words, hard words, uh, discouragement, and I lost my father in the first year of a residency. So I I can say that. Uh, uh, the work, uh, the training helped me with the grief, but uh, it was very hard to deal
3: with. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And, mm. uh, I had my, my child after the, the training. Mm. And, uh, in, incredibly, this was very good for me because, um, he inspired me, oh. my son, to grow in my career and uh, to, search for uh, leadership positions and society positions and uh, I'm doing my master's and I think that uh, having a child was very good for me. That's
3: amazing. Gabriella.
4: for you?
5: Yes, um, I've been very fortunate too to have a lot of wonderful people around throughout my career, Um, you know, moving from from Mexico, probably Vanessa and Fernanda will relate, and in our cultures and countries, we are very close-knitted family, and it was really tough for me to to leave all that behind. You know, I didn't have anyone here in the U.S. uh, but myself. You know, I basically had to become a grown-up, because I used to live at home all through my med school. I didn't pay bills, didn't like my food, nothing, none of that. So I became a grown-up and and I was, you know, so um passionate about about surgery and all the things that I wanted to do. So I think that having the the mentors that I had through general surgery, like Dr. Dodson or Dr. Delman and Emory that just got me through that So the spark on me, the, the the passion and the fire. And then, you know, my love for vascular surgery came through and, and then met other great surgeons through the way. So I think in, in, in kind of each state. Uh, of my training and career has been um, re- really important to have mentorship. I would say, um, you know, my love of vascular surgery started by wanting to be like my faculty members, and I thought that the vascular surgeons that were at Emory at that time, like Dr. Dodson or Dr. Career, they were really family-oriented men. It reminded me of home. It reminded me of my culture. That despite of them really being there, so passionate, and so dedicated to their pe- to their patients. They were, you know, calling home, and they were making sure that they made it to their, you know, soccer game or this and that. And it really inspired me. And then, you know, going on into fellowship and all that also uh, had a lot of, um, you know, good mentors. Doctor Huber was really, really good to me, and and really pushed me to to be the best I could be. And and I just really grew so much in terms of of. for what i thought of myself and what what could i accomplish um so i always had this kind of something missing in terms of you know not having my family around and and you know i I met my husband and all that so i thought that i was going to come back to mexico and practice but then i realized that that all of me becoming an adult had happened somewhere else so i felt a little bit divided because i felt like i didn't belong not anywhere because that's not the case, but it just felt weird. Like, am I going to go back? I don't know anyone. And I knew that I had not practice there. My husband, you know, he's American and, you know, we were not, we were not going to probably make it work at that time. So ended up staying here and it was, it was really, really great. And I think that, you know, having those, uh, role models and mentors who take you through difficult times is so, so important in every aspect of your life. Call it, you know, the village that you build at home and the village that you build at work. I am so grateful to be, you know, in Wake Forest. We have such a wonderful work environment. Uh, you know, my boss, Dr. Edwards, he's really great to all of us. My colleagues are hardworking, family oriented. We all, we all help each other. I personally had also a difficult time in my early um years of of faculty when my husband was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma Mm. and I was eight months pregnant at that time. Mm. And, you know, I was, you know, working really hard because I wanted to do so well being a new vascular surgeon. And I just felt completely overwhelmed. And the one thing that came to me at that time is like, if I, what am I going to do? I feel so divided because I feel like if I take time off, people are going to think that, I don't care that I'm not serious about my job, but I knew that my family needed me. And, um, you know, it took uh, my boss and some of my colleagues sat down with me and said, we got you. We got you. You are wonderful. You know what you're doing. Your family needs you now. And that's what you need to do. And if I had not had them telling me that, I would I wouldn't not really grow from that experience to share with my family and and kind of step away from my responsibilities at work a little bit to be able to help my husband and and have my child and spend time with them at the same time so it was an extremely growing and uh, experience but also made me appreciate the uh, the weight of of support and mentorship that gives you uh, Dr. Freischlag, like she's um, she's well-known in the vascular community. She's our CEO and dean of the medical school. And she was there calling me, seeing how was I doing, su- supporting me as well. And and I mean, I think that, of course, you can think that you can do everything you want for sure. We can do it. But having people that is doing it along, you know, alongside with you, not just showing you how to do it, but just be there for the moment when you need it. It's, it's, been, it's been extremely important and, and I'm very grateful for that.
3: I would say, uh, Fernanda, I lost my father when I was a resident as well and it was really hard. And, uh, you know, my, my mom and my I have three sisters, they're incredible. It's always like, I'm always the one studying and they're always picking up the pieces of things. So um, it's family and I would have to say that uh, mentors and supporters, Frank V. since the moment I finished general surgical training, has been there for me and through every single hardship. I can call him anytime. And as busy as he always was, he would he would always take time to talk to me. And I think that if we can find a mentor who we know has really no time, and then they're always care and they 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 will give you their valuable time. That means more than anything. It's important. And you don't always find it in your local group. It's outside, you know. I mean. I'm supported by Rico Asher, I'm supported by Alan Lumpson, I'm supported by so many wonderful men um, in, in my career and uh, you know I think we have to just uh, try to remind ourselves where all these uh, people came from and how they've helped us and then now where we've gotten so that we can then do the same thing for our young trainees and these medical students who really look up to us and you know it's hard for them too, they're scared and we are the strong ones, and now we're in their position, right? So so now things have changed, so now the uh, onus is on us. So I was curious if uh, any of you had could think of ways that maybe uh, internationally we could collaborate or find some joint projects that we could do um, so that we could really form a bond. Uh, We could, with the backing of the ISCVS, you know, form bond amongst the Latina community, Um, even uh, we can reach out to Argentina and other um, different countries. Um, do you have any thoughts or ideas? I think
1: um, it would be interesting to have uh, rotations maybe because uh, some of the aspects of, uh, for example, maybe open surgery here, uh, we do a lot more maybe than in other places where there's more technologically oriented and things like that I think could promote uh, exchange and also be interesting for just seeing how uh, service works in another country or things like that. And I think also maybe investigation or um, publishing just cases in different uh, scenarios. Or I think that those are things that could be interesting
3: in our service. That's excellent. You know, we're always trying to increase our open cases here uh, because we're doing so much endovascular. So that you know, uh, whenever the weather's good, we're coming, right? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) you let us know. Uh, Fernando, what do you think? You're pretty, uh, uh well, I, I agree. strongly,
4: strongly agree, agree with the idea of exchange and uh, the knowledge, the experience among the countries. And, um, uh, uh, the, the rotations are important, but I also would suggest, um, not only rotations for residents, but for young surgeons too. And do, do not worry about uh, sponsorship because many physicians uh, are interested in pay the expenses for the opportunity to uh, to do a rotation uh, outside abroad. I mean, so uh, I think the, the exchange of the, the knowledge is very important. So, Palma, we have
2: a couple so so more questions.
4: It,
1: it mm. could be interesting if we did some kind of a network, uh, such as the, the yes. idea that Canada had, because this is also something very positive. If, if there's a, another, a fellow woman or something somewhere else that has a question and maybe we have a similar case or something like that, this could be very interesting also.
4: Yes, specifically for women, encouragement is the key. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that there are so many women vascular surgeons that could serve as role models and they remain anonymous. We should uh, let the world know them. Yeah, we we needed to invite them to female panels, normalize female panels, not only to discuss female issues, but yeah. to discuss aortic surgery and uh, vascular trauma and so many other topics in vascular surgery. Just to normalize them, to see female panels. I, mm-hmm.
1: had, a, I had a resident for general surgery approach to me after one conference, and then she told me, like, well, she was very happy and to see me presenting and she told me like because I, it, I identify with you and she said I think it's something possible that someday I can be doing the same thing or that it's possible for a woman to speak in a panel you know and I think this is what we want more women participation and and it's uh I know that sometimes these kind of topics like just women maybe it's seen as uh, we're gonna complain or something like that but I think it's positive where, where we can uh Encourage participation, and uh, like like Fernanda said, I think it's good that it's not only limited to to women topics. <laughs> just do like different uh, academic things. I think. Yeah.
2: So, Palma, we uh, have a few go- more few more questions. If I can interrupt, want mm-hmm. uh, we uh, basically look at them. some of them are fairly pointed. Uh, we're going to talk about them, and so. Question is: What are the barriers to professional growth? Let's deal with this one first of all. What are the barriers to professional growth that you've encountered? I, again, since this is really about women surgeons, specifically from a women's standpoint, I think that also covers the, the second question. Are there things that you've not been able to achieve that you think are related to those barriers?
5: I would, I would speak to uh, something really important that it is uh, not being able to find you know, that mentorship and that you know, sponsorship. Uh, not just from from women, but also from men to uh, seek leadership opportunities and, you know, to put your name out there, just like we were mentioning earlier. I think that when you start your career, we're all very eager. We're all, you know, doing our best that we can, obviously, to take care of patients and really put our, put our name out, or, out there and really uh, put a mark in the, in the vascular community and um you know we need people like palma like you dr lumsden you know putting our names out there and say you know i i met vanessa or i met fernanda and you know in their clinical practice they do a lot of these and we should we should put them in the list of people that we're going to invite and i think that lack of sponsorship could be really detrimental for people when they're starting to grow their 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 academic careers or their professional
2: careers yeah it's a great point I think it's
5: something that may, might not be
1: really a barrier, but maybe it's a question of timing. It could be the family because uh, when you're raising a child, sometimes maybe when you want to do a uh, an exchange somewhere else and then learn something about aortic surgery. And there's a, it's a stay of maybe a couple of months. And if you have a small child, you have to think you're also a mother, for example. So I think this is something that limits you uh, in your professional growth. It's it's not that really maybe it will never come but i think you have to time it um when it's a better moment to do it and thinking of your other goals you have uh, as a,
4: as a personal um in your personal life
2: okay. so fernanda mm-hmm.
4: well i i haven't experienced uh limitations regarding the motherhood because i had uh, all the support from my husband thank god <laughs> 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 I think that we should address another important topic uh, for the societies, Specialty societies play an important role in uh, spotlighting the professionals. So uh, in Brazil, for example, there is no selection process for committees and uh, councils as we have in the SBS. So to get a position in the SBS I just applied and mm-hmm. I was chosen. But in Brazil, you must be appointed for a leadership position. Mm-hmm. So I think that professional societies as ISEVF should um, act with some transparency regarding the selection process for councils and committees, as we can know more um, how many women would be interested Mm. and occupy those positions. So we should uh, allow women to participate in the growth of the society. This is an important
2: topic. Uh, This last question doesn't particularly pertain to this topic, but I think it's somebody who wants to come to the United States, and is there any anything they can do to make themselves more competitive. I want to pick up on a comment that Gabriella made and that I'm an immigrant, just like you're an immigrant. And, you know, we interview a lot of immigrants and I say to them exactly what you said. I said, you got to be better than the American who's applying for it. The tie goes to the local person. Um, and so as an immigrant trying to break into the United States, you got to be better. And that's just, The way it kind of works here and so just to echo what you said you end up having to work harder publish more and have somebody give you that opportunity uh for me that was a guy called mike henderson once you're in it's your job to close the deal but you need somebody who gives you that opportunity up front and the better qualified you are you know obviously the better
3: i want to just comment on something that vanessa mentioned you know a long time ago i met a female uh, president of a college in boston and she told me that when she was trying to get that position, she was originally um, was turned down. And she said, you know, as a woman having a child in a family, it, the men have a straight ascent in it, almost in a diagonal ascent, but women often it's stepwise. So I'm thinking it's like aneurysm growth, right? Aortic aneurysm growth is a stepwise growth pattern. So, you know, women in our profession, it's stepwise. So, okay. I graduate, oh, I get pregnant, okay, I'm a little slowed down, I can't quite keep up with the research piece, and then I have, then I get back on track, and then I have another kid, and then I take a little step to break, and then I go up. But I think that, you know, generally, it's pretty well known that women, we may uh, continue even later when we're older to continue growing and giving and looking for new venues, right, at an older age. So I think that um, I was disappointed once with the SVS when some years ago, I wanted to apply for one of their traveling scholarships. And they said, you know, I had, I exceeded the age. So I was like, well, well, I exceeded the age because I was having two kids and I just couldn't leave then. So when I wanted to do it, I was too old, um, which is age discrimination, but uh, I never really told them that is <laughs> okay. Um, but that's fine. But I, I think that we, uh, people need to acknowledge that, you know, we women have a lot to offer we have a lot to offer and we may not take the exact same path as a man but at the end of the day we could do exactly what they're doing and maybe even better and we're we're putting all our time
2: in for it you know so
3: alan do we have uh closing comments or
2: yeah, uh, sure uh, i mean it's been a, it's been a <laughs> fascinating discussion my my, my daughter's uh, a resident at uh, anaesthesia at ucsf and she reminds me of you, Palma, and that there's never been a major challenge that she's not going to run to it's it, what a lot of women basically don't choose an easy pathway; they always choose the biggest challenge that is out there, and so i I think that's that's part of the of the beauty basically of of what you can bring to it they're so motivated and so eager to actually do a great job and so Uh, Look, clearly figuring out how we incorporate women into multiple different types of group is the key to the future of vascular surgery. Um, you're always, I mean, in some ways, respects, I envy the role of motherhood. I mean, it just it is, it is a gift that you have that guys don't get. I mean, you're always going to be the mother. That's something that you should cherish. Um, and we understand that that's, that's something that happens in the growth of private practice and academic surgeons here. And our, the challenge for people in my position is how do you modify these groups? It's amazing to hear um, Gabriella's story and how her group supported her through what sounds like just a terrible couple of years that you're having. And, and, and that's kind of, we, we need the, the financial flexibility in groups in order to be able to accommodate people who are doing that. That's not always an easy thing to do. But I can tell you that uh, my wife was part of a big multi-specialty group. She joined that group, then became pregnant, and they could not have been more supportive, You know, almost like an extension. Family, and so I think that's the challenge in changing the surgical mentality that we've had over these years to try and kind of accommodate this, and and the groups that do that will be the most successful. And so that's why, you know, as somebody's a leader of a group, we got to figure this out because we can't be successful unless we can attract people like you to come and work with us. In order to be able to do that, we got to basically figure out how, we, how we, we manage through these various different um, challenges that occur in the life of a women's surgeon that guys really don't have to deal with.
3: Do any of you um, have a closing comments you want to make, Vanessa or Fernanda Arreola? I just um, appreciate the invitation and I really think this is a a
1: great way to get to know other vascular surgeons, female vascular surgeons. And I think it's a good beginning to to start networking. (laughs) Thank you.
3: Fernanda?
4: Yes, I also uh, thank you for the invitation and for the opportunity to show my work. And uh, um, I also would like to invite you, all the women connected, to subscribe at womeninvascularsurgery.com to receive the logistic plan for the first semester and uh, be aware that uh, you could be invited for panels and uh, for writing some text for our newsletter and show, showing us your practice. So uh, stay connected and follow us at social media. Thank you one more time.
5: Uh, thank you also for, for inviting us, Palma. It was really great to connect with Fernanda and Vanessa and Dr. Lumsden and you at the same time. It's just really a great way to put all these uh, amazing brains together and really discuss important issues in our specialty. I would also encourage all of those listeners that are um, in the Central, South America and other countries to, if they want to pursue the dream to, to, to train in a different country or to come in the U.S., do not be shy to do it. you got to try it you got to try and I'll be you know, happy to talk to you or email with you uh, regarding kind of how, some ways to, ways to do it. And just remember that, you know, our careers are you know, marathons. We don't sometimes we have to sprint a little bit. Sometimes we take it more easy, depending on how life goes. But it's like a lifelong endeavor that is super, super rewarding. And I'm just really, really um, happy and grateful to be part of this community.
3: I think it's uh, something Alan said was important. Uh, you know, it's uh, everybody wants to be a leader. But, you know, to be a leader, your job is to really make everybody around you better. It's not about you being better. It's about your team being better. It's about the team. And I think that um, people are starting to recognize that. And I think that we women will go further if we function like a team and continue to support each other because... Every day there are obstacles, uh, tough cases, you know, and uh, we're surrounded by men. I think it's about 14% of women in uh, vascular surgery, uh, of women are vascular surgeons out of our group in the U.S. It's around that. So um, I'm really glad you guys could attend. I'm very grateful to Alan for being so supportive, as he has always been for all of our shows, and every woman that's ever worked for Alan has done very well, so I've... (laughs) <laughs> so lucky <laughs> and so um this is great and you all stay safe okay and we'll see you at the meetings and if the iocbs can be involved with fernanda your project or or Vanessa, any of these things uh, i really you, you know simply let me know and we'd be happy to collaborate thank you
0: thank, thank you, you. Bye bye mm-hmm. Thank you for joining for today's show. We would love to hear your thoughts and topics. Send us a tweet using hashtag CVNow and don't forget to tag us at DeBakeyCVEDU. If you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. It helps our show grow and get out there. You can find more digital cardiovascular education opportunities through DeBakeyCV Education by following us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter.